little Jesus boy, they made you be born in a manger. Sweet little holy child, didn't know who you was, didn't know you'd come to save us, Lord. To take our sins away Our eyes was blind We could not see We didn't know Brother Fears. Now that's that's something. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, look with me in Psalms 37. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. 
The title of the message this morning is Getting the Desires of Our Heart. Let's look at God's Word together. Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of the wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. I want you to listen uh, to verse 4 again. You ought to get out your pen and mark verse 4. That's a very, very important verse in the Word of God. Don't just hear the beautiful expression of the English language, but listen to what the promise is. There is an unbelievable promise in that verse. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, that's beautiful. When I realized what the verse was saying, I said to myself, I need to study this a little bit more. If that verse is true, and I believe it is, it's the most wonderful promise that a person could ever have. Put another way, the verse says this, put God first in your life, and he'll give you whatever you want. This is an amazing statement. The verse is saying in direct proportion to how we put God first, he will grant us what we really want that fulfills us. And that's a real key, that fulfills us. We want a lot of things that we get that are terrible for us. We're talking about the things that fulfill us. And the reverse of this verse is also true. In direct proportion, if we do not put God first, we will not get what we really want in life. That is such a huge promise. Our first reaction is to say, well, that can't be so. That just can't be so. We all know a lot of fine, wonderful, godly people who have tried to put God first in their lives, all their lives. And yet they have suffered, they have had heartbreak, they have had disappointment, they have had sorrow, they have had all kinds of bad circumstances that have fallen upon them. How do we explain that if this verse is true? Well, have you ever felt like you've done your very best And you've worked hard, you feel like, for the Lord, and then something bad happened. What is uh, the problem with this verse? Is the verse true or not? Well, I want you to listen closely. The problem really is that too few of us know what we really want in our life. Do you really know what you want? If I were to ask you right now, what are the three main things in life that you want? Could you just rattle off those three things? Many of you uh, could say, I hope, number one is this, number two is this, number three is this. Are these the things that would make you happy? Now, that's an important question. Would the things that you just listed in your mind, are those the things that are going to make you happy? All of us want different things 
on different days. But how many of us have never really analyzed what it is we want out of life to make us happy? To put it in another way, to be fulfilled. I have a lot of friends who succeeded wonderfully. One friend of mine in seminary wanted to marry a certain girl. If you talked to him for over two minutes, he was going to mention that girl. He loved that girl. Everybody at the seminary knew that he loved that girl. He loved her more than anything else in the world. He lived and breathed to call her his wife. Well, he got his wish. And two years later, they were very unhappy. And a year after that, they were divorced. And his career was over. Another friend of mine wanted to make a million dollars by the time he was 30. He kept telling everybody that. Millionaire by 30. And he worked real hard. He was a smart guy. He didn't make it when he was 30, but he did make it when he was 34. When he was 37, he was in jail. That didn't fulfill him. Another friend of mine wanted to be the pastor of a certain size church. But that uh, was going to be difficult. He knew that, but that was the goal of his life. That's what he thought about. That's what he prayed for every day. That was his dream. He reached his goal and more. But his life fell apart, and now he's out of the ministry. I don't know how many of you uh, were around Dallas when the Dallas Cowboys got started. Uh, From almost the day they met the first time, they all said, we want to win the Super Bowl. That's what we want to do. We want to win the Super Bowl. And that became their theme. That became uh, kind of the headline uh, all around their facilities. Uh, We want to win the Super Bowl. Uh, Bob Lilly was on that team. Does anybody here remember the name Bob Lilly? A whole bunch of you do. That's interesting. Bob Lilly was a real big guy, a real strong guy. He was doing some graduate work at SMU in Dallas. And uh, you had to watch uh, Bob because if you didn't, he might move your car. Uh, He had two other friends, and it was all a joke around the campus. If somebody did something they didn't like, they'd pick up their car and carry it off somewhere. And, uh, you know, it was, it was really interesting. Everybody talked about that a lot. Bob Hayes was the, uh, fast guy on the team. Many said he was the fastest man in the world. Bob Hayes. Bullet Bob Hayes. Uh, Don Meredith was one of the quarterbacks. Roger Staubach was one of the quarterbacks. I got to know Roger. He was a really sharp, strong Christian guy, good guy. The team finally made it to the Super Bowl, and they won. They won the Super Bowl. You know, at uh, the church I was in in Dallas, Dallas shut down when the Cowboys played for the Super Bowl. I mean, it literally shut down. There were no cars on the road. And all the businesses kind of put it on pause for about... uh, Four hours. We had a big screen in our church, and the screen would come up, and we would all watch the game together, and then we'd go down to the fellowship hall and eat. And uh, when it was Super Bowl time, 
People in Dallas were dead serious about that. That was the most important thing ever. Well, but now, many years later, a lot of those uh, folks are gone because their brains are gone, because of all the drugs that they took uh, during those years. Many of the team are dead. Many are in mental institutions because their heads got knocked around. And with the drugs and with all the other stuff, uh, it, didn't, it didn't work out very well. Somebody after the first service said, Ron, I'm not sure I'd want to be one of your friends. So what is it uh, you want? What is it that you want? Many people listening to me right now think that they know exactly what they want. Many people spend literally all of their energy for many years in their life to claim a certain thing. A certain thing. And when they get that thing, it doesn't satisfy them. After a while, they they don't even care about it anymore. In fact, they give it away or trade it away or put it in the garbage pail, whatever. Some people want a certain house. That's that's what they want. That's the desire of their heart. And when they get that dream house, after they're there a couple years, they say, you know, that room isn't big enough. And we put the wrong thing on the roof. And this over here doesn't work. I don't think it'll ever work. And we put the wrong thing on the sunny side, and they complain, and and then they decide they really wanted something else. That wasn't the main thing that they needed. Many people want a certain position in a company, or a certain position in the neighborhood, or a certain position here or there, wherever it might be. And when they get that certain position... They're not very happy. Even though they got what they thought was the desire of their heart, it didn't make their life right for them. Some in America are grasping, climbing, striving, seeking. But every day, they're trying to move up on the ladder. They want to get to a certain rung on the ladder. And they climb and they struggle. And finally, they get to that place. And it's not very long after they get to that place that they want to be four rungs higher on the ladder. That other rung, that that wasn't very much. They wanted this rung of the ladder. That's where they really wanted to be. Well, after you do that about ten times, maybe fifteen times, it seems like we'd wake up, doesn't it? Some of the desires of our heart aren't the things that we really want. Now, we might not know that. But it's true nonetheless. Do we examine our goals? Do we need to examine the desires of our heart? God is willing to give us the desires of our heart. We need to pick desires that will make us fulfilled. Not just happy for a week, but fulfilled. So many in America say, if I had a lot of money, I would really, really be happy. That would make me happy for the rest of my life. 
My brother was in uh, advertising his whole career. Uh, He retired, and a friend of his called him out of retirement to do an ad uh, on uh, peak antifreeze. Have any of you ever heard of peak antifreeze? It's been a while, uh, but it was real, real popular back then. My brother came out, and he made an ad for this uh, friend uh, who was trying to promote peak antifreeze. Well, Mike Ditka was the guy that was in the ad, and it was about uh, four hours that he had to prepare to say the right thing, and then they gave him a check for $200,000, and every time they showed that peak antifreeze ad, Mike Ditka got more money, and then I saw him doing ads for other companies. And I'm not real good in math, but I could figure that out pretty quickly. He is a rich, rich, rich man. No question about that. But he's not a happy man. If you had all the money in Hillsborough County, and you could be the king over it, you could be the owner of it, if that is all you had in your life, you would not be happy. Believe me, all the things in the world aren't enough. A tour group was going through the bluegrass area of Kentucky, a beautiful, beautiful uh, place. As the bus rolled around, a tour bus, uh, it saw a beautiful farm, unbelievably beautiful farm. The farm had a beautiful fence around it. It was a huge, huge farm. And they didn't have just a rickety old fence up. They had a beautiful fence all the way around that farm. It was such a lovely place. A lot of people said, you know, I have never seen a place as nice as that my whole life. The bus driver said it was an old historic farm that had been in one family for generations. Middle-aged lady on the bus said, that is such a beautiful place. All those hundreds of horses out there. It's unbelievable. The rolling hills. Look how beautiful they are. They're just It seems like they just go forever. That beautiful fence is nicer than any fence I've ever seen. I'll bet the people who live there are so happy they don't have a care in the world, in the whole world. The tour director, who knew all about the farm, spoke up and said, Well, ma'am, I'm sorry to tell you this, but that is not so. That beautiful mansion on the farm was held by three generations in a family. And all three generations have had nothing but sorrow and tragedy and heartache. That's all they've had. The first generation, the woman committed suicide and left such a shadow over the house that a lot of people thought it was haunted, so they didn't want to go anywhere around there. The second generation, the man was an alcoholic. He died an early death and left a widow who mismanaged the whole place, and it fell into disrepair. The third generation, it fell to the hands of the quarreling grandchildren. 
And the estate was in litigation forever and ever and ever. The children would fight over it every time they got together with the lawyers. They were so mad at each other. They hated each other. They wouldn't even speak to each other. You see, the things that we think we really want are not what we want on the inside. What do you want? What do you really want? Let's turn to the field of psychology for a minute. Ask the psychologist and the psychiatrist. They study our inner motives and the inner workings of our mind. They are students of motivation, of drives that motivate us. They look into the subconscious and say, deep down inside, this is who you really are. This is why you do the things that you do. One of the keenest minds in psychology was Alfred Adler. He was one of the pioneers in the field of psychology. He was born in Austria, he grew up in Vienna, and then he came to America to teach in some of our schools over here. Adler began to deal with the hidden motives of our heart. He was the first to develop the phrase, inferiority complex. He dreamed that up. He said, when life does not treat us right, when we're having a hard time, and we cannot understand whatever is going on, we have an inferior feeling. Adler said that the driving force or power that propels us along, that if fulfilled, we find joy and peace and happiness. If it is not fulfilled, we are miserable and unhappy every day of our lives. He put it all into one word, significance. Everyone wants significance. Significance means that I want to feel useful. I want to feel some worth to somebody in some way at some time. And if I do not feel some worth, if I do not feel Worthy, useful, appreciated. Adler said, I will develop a horrible inferiority complex. I begin to despise myself and feel like life is empty. If it's not coming your way, you feel that way. We had a marriage seminar in a church uh, that I worked in years ago. The leader, of course, talked about husband and wife relationships. He said the most devastating thing that you can do to your wife or your husband is to put them down. Just put them down. To make them feel worthless. That's the worst thing you can possibly do. If you make your mate feel useless, you make them feel like they have no significance. If you want to strengthen your relationship with your mate and strengthen that other person's personality, then make them feel like they are very important to you. Then make them feel like they have worth. They have great significance 
in your life. Isn't that really what we want, all of us that are here today? Really deep down inside, you want somebody that will hold you and say, you are the most important person in the world to me. You are so important to me, I don't know how I could get along without you. Wouldn't it be nice if some of our working associates thought you were that important and told you that every once in a while? We all like to get paid, no doubt about that. But do you know what is just as important as getting paid? For someone to say, you have no idea of how much you mean to this organization. You are so important here. We don't think we could make it without you. That is what we really want. And if we do not feel that way, all the money in the world can't make everything right for us. Well, how does that relate to our Christian faith? All the relationships where we want to feel useful and have significance is the relationship that we have with the Lord. That's the main one. That's more important than any of the others. If we can feel we have significance with the Lord vertically, then it is much easier to say, certainly, I have a good relationship and I have significance horizontally with other people. Do you know how significant you are to God? Well, I can sum it up in... A sentence or two, the Lord sent his only begotten son to die on a cruel cross for you. That's how much he loves you. In Revelations 1, 5 and 6, the apostle John says, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God. John says that through God, in Jesus Christ, we have been made a king. Can you imagine that? That's how significant you are. We were saved through Jesus, and I am somebody in him. Now, that's what we all say. I'm somebody because of who I know. I know the Lord God Almighty. I know His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I know His Holy Spirit that loves and directs my life. I begin to be useful to other people, sharing love, sharing the gospel, being an encourager. It is worth more than all the money you can put out on the table. It is worth more than the finest house you could ever live in. It is wonderful to know that God loves you and His people love you. A contemporary of Adler was Sigmund Freud. Freud said the great drive in life was sex. And it is how that is thwarted or fulfilled that determines whether or not you are happy. Is Freud right? No, he's not right. How do we as Christians define real love? Let me tell you a story that might help. Years ago, Webb Carroll was a missionary in Uganda 
with the Karamajong people. They were getting ready to build a church out there in the wilds of mud blocks. There was an elderly Karamajong man who watched over the building materials. The old man brought his little son to missionary Webb Carroll. This man had had 13 children. Ten of them had died. Only three of them had lived, two little girls and this little boy that he had with him, who was about a year and a half old. The rest had died of disease or malnutrition. The old man said to Webb Carroll, Would you take my son and help him so that he will live and that he could grow up to be a man? The tiny boy had skinny legs and a badly swollen stomach from malnutrition. Webb said, No, God gave you this boy. And you're supposed to raise this boy, not me. I do want to tell you three things to do for this boy, and he will live. First of all, clean him up. Give him a bath. Every day, give him a bath. Get him washed. Get that cow dung out of his hair. That will not make your son wealthy. That is a superstition that is wrong. Washing. Secondly, feeding. Among the Karamajong tribes, the adults always ate first. And the children got what was left over if there was anything uh, left over. Third, loving. The old Karamajong did not understand love. He didn't know what that was. They understood wash and feed, but they did not understand love. Webb explained love by explaining how God sent his only son to die for them on Calvary's cross. The story of the love of God was fully explained, and it really touched the heart of that old man. He also touches people today who try to understand. Love is not a quick, physical thing. You cannot understand what love really is about until you give it and you receive it, until you first experience the love of God. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of his heart. Significance, youthfulness, the ability to love and to be loved, isn't that what you want? If it is, the Lord would want you to have it today. I'm going to come down and stand at the front, as we always do. We have a time of invitation where we invite people to make a profession of their faith in Christ or to come and to join our family, join our church, join the Lord's family. That's what we want you to do. If you haven't done it, uh, that's really the desire of the word of God, that you would trust in Christ, join his church, grow in your faith. It's just that simple. Amen. Really, that's all we need to do. And as we do it, the Lord blesses. I'll be standing here. I hope you will come and take a stand for him who died for you. Let's stand sing together.